Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. Good morning everyone. Happy Friday. I hope you're all having a wonderful week so far. It's been a real treat for you all this week, hasn't it? A real treat. Not only have you had me messaging every day in the group, you've also had me emailing every day. Those lucky ones of you that are on my email list. I'm like, (laughs) I was thinking to myself this morning, you know, when the fields are being fertilized and it just smells all the time, you're just like, oh my God, I just wish this terrible smell would just go. I feel like that's how I've been. (laughs) Like when they're not fertilizing, muck spreading, when they're just muck spreading, Obviously, that's fertilizing. I now know that. Um, hi, hi, brain. You're welcome. I was like, yeah, that's me, muck spreading, <laughs> muck spreading this week. But of course, you know, I'm not spreading muck. No, I'm spreading reality, honesty, health, well being. And I know you all love it. So, you know, and of course, we've been talking about confidence this week, haven't we? especially in in um on the app on the group we've been talking about like how we build confidence and this has come up quite a lot actually when I've been talking to people because when you've been in the realm of dieting for many many years your confidence is shot and I think your confidence is closely linked to your self-worth and your self-esteem it all forms like how you feel in yourself right and each time you go through a diet and you perhaps don't see the results or it's not long lived whereby maybe you lose the weight and you regain the weight you lose the weight and regain the weight each one of those methods is knocking away at your confidence it's like another strike against your confidence but in order to rebuild confidence we have to learn the skill of doing the difficult things that we don't want to do in pursuit of our goals so that means being courageously vulnerable and saying to yourself right I need to start by taking action now and trusting the process and trust me I know what it's like to really fear then taking action and we leave ourselves in like a self-preservation mode where we preserve ourselves and we build up a brick wall around us and one of the running jokes that I used to say to my therapist was I um I can build a brick wall around me quicker than any brick layer (laughs) because I will just protect myself and I will go into this self-preservation mode but one of the biggest things that I've been working on this year is personal growth and that is doing the things that feel really uncomfortable in order to build confidence and let me tell you in January it wasn't comfortable for me to write an email It wasn't comfortable for me to be sending one email a week. Now I will religiously send two. And it feels more comfortable because I'm more confident in how I'm articulating it. When I first started in tennis in February, 
I was, I had no confidence. I hadn't played tennis for like, I don't know, getting on for 20 years. Yeah, I could hold a racket, but I had no idea what to do with it. And of course, as I mentioned this morning, there was a myriad of times where I'd sit in the car, like crying, genuinely crying, <laughs> because I knew I was going into a squad where there were people infinitely better than me. And a lot of comparison would come in and I would want to stay in the car. I didn't want to get out of the car. But I was then courageous and just got out of the car. And I was like, well, just do the best you can because the only person that you're up against here is yourself, your previous self. And last night when I went and had a tennis lesson with my coach, he said, you're so much more confident now. And let me tell you, I am probably on par now with Serena Williams. Just you saying, you know? No, I'm not joking. That is a joke. (laughs) Nowhere near that. But I am more confident. Let me tell you, my backhand is getting so much better. And my forehand has got all the top spin on and I do whack it (laughs) and it now stays in. Like it's not whacking and going 20 feet in the air and going out. No, we're here for it. We're here for it. So your confidence comes from, like I said, taking off that cape, you know? And what I mean by that is, you'll all have watched Harry Potter, I'm sure you have. And he was gifted an invisible cloak from his parents. And... What I see is diet culture puts on this invisible cloak. Puts on this invisible cloak so you lose your identity, you lose your authenticity, you lose yourself. A lot of the time people conform to the societal pressures. (laughs) Women shouldn't have needs. Men should be alpha. Men should do everything. Um, Like be the fixer. Women should keep the house together and run a job and have children. Males and females don't meet their own needs and then they fall into the realm of dieting and dieting feels safe like fat loss feels safe for so many people because they've been told that that's a normal trait that we should all like follow with a normal behavior sorry like the minute you feel uncomfortable fat loss the minute you feel um less than or less worthy or less confident fat loss fat loss fat loss fat loss but fat loss doesn't fix you and fat loss actually heightens this like lack of confidence and lack of self-worth if you're following a method that is literally sending you into a spiral of dichotomous thinking on all or nothing. And I know one of my biggest battles over the summer has been feeling uncomfortable in myself. Like I've put clothes on and they felt very tight. So I've been wearing a lot of baggy clothes because I've been very social. But with that personal growth that I set out in the earlier, earlier part of the year, I've sat through that discomfort. And when you sit through that discomfort because you recognize that it's not value aligned for you to just swing back into a fat loss phase every time you feel uncomfortable, you build more confidence in yourself. So I'm building more confidence in myself now because I've been sitting through that discomfort. And this is where it's like every time we quit, we take away at that confidence. And one of the things that I like to say to people is if you're in a situation now that you don't want to be in in the next 12 months, how much longer are you willing to spend here? And this is that like yo-yo cycle, isn't it? How many more diets are you going to go through that is a yo-yo cycle? And if it was as simple as calories in versus calories out, Christ, we would just lose weight and keep it off. And people would just be the healthiest, happiest version of themselves all the time. And it's not the case. And people genuinely do have really low confidence and really low self-worth. And my biggest issue is that you can't see that. And we assume that somebody is confident. We assume that somebody is healthy based on how they look. We live in a world of assumptions. And let me tell you what assuming does makes an ass out of you and me. Because that isn't health. And we brush over so many aspects of health. Health is multifaceted. 
and how one feels in themselves has absolutely nothing to do with their body weight or shape. It's a feeling. And I think we see health as being a weight and shape, but that just eats weight or confidence because likelihood is you're not going to feel happy at that weight or shape because one, you'll never sustain that. You will never sustain 60 kilos. You will never sustain 10 stone because it's impossible. But if you have this assumption that you'll be confident when you weigh X amount, when you fit in X genes, you won't because you're actually looking for a confidence that looks a certain way instead of a feeling. Your confidence is going to come from showing up each and every day, from doing the things that feel wildly challenging. So how have I managed to send fucking six emails this week? Because I've been, I've been repetition for the brain over the course of the year, repeating, repeating, repeating. There's been many a Fridays I didn't want to send an email, many of them. There's been many a times I didn't want to eat vegetables and I'd rather face plant dominoes. There has been so many. But that emotional granularity that I have built has come from repetition through understanding and learning, right? Being able to articulate an email that sometimes makes sense, sometimes it's just a complete baffle, it's a bit like a journal for me, I love it, comes from repetition. It doesn't come from a place of comfort, it comes from discomfort, but growth comes from discomfort. And you don't get anywhere if you remain where you're at, that's where we live a very stagnant life. And I think confidence is... We talk a lot about motivation, right? Motivation is a buzzword. And I actually don't like the word motivation because I think it can be taken in the wrong context. And I think people can really play on individuals' vulnerabilities and insecurities. And it's like a bit of an excuse, isn't it? Well, you're just not motivated enough. Oh, to go for a walk, you just need motivation. To go for to go to go and train, you just need to be motivated. I went for a run this morning, I was not motivated at all because I'm rarely motivated, but it becomes like these things become habitual once you cycle through this for a myriad of years, like I have. But I think there is something to be said about confidence. I like having the confidence to articulate the things that are right for you, but also having the awareness in your body of what you're feeling and also a feeling that you want to attain. And like I say to all of you, that health is a feeling. It's not a weight, shape or size. It's how you feel in yourself and really getting to the point of exploring that Like, how do you want to feel in your body? Do you want to feel confident? Do you want to feel calm? Do you want to feel balanced? Do you want to feel regulated? But that doesn't look like a size 10. That doesn't look like 60 kilos. That looks like a collection of behaviors in pursuit of your own goals that are value aligned, driven with intent, that don't overhaul your life, that have you sit in your body feeling those feelings. But when you are dysregulated, you've got the awareness and you've got the emotional granularity. This is where health is not just how you look, it's how you feel. And unfortunately in society, we assume that it is how we look, right? Somebody said to me this week, oh, you've put on weight. Okay, (laughs) thank you very much. But I feel calm, I feel balanced, I feel regulated. And I now have the capacity to acknowledge other people's comments and opinions and know that they're not of value to me and put in a mental mental boundary for myself. But just because I've gained a couple of kilos doesn't mean that I'm less healthy. I'm more healthy, you know? So I think confidence is something that we should all be going and all be seeking to attain through constant growth, through constant learning and understanding that failing is part of the process in order to build confidence. And this was actually, it came up with my tennis coach last night because he was saying like a lot of people play safe tennis, they fear failing. 
And he said, it's one of the, one of the best things about you is that you're not scared to fail. I was like, well, no. And he was like, I was saying, do you think you have to fail enough times at hitting the ball out to be able to learn how to hit the ball in? And he was like, I've never looked at it like that. But yeah, you do. You have to fail enough times at certain things to be able to adapt, to learn how to hit the ball in. So I was failing a lot of the time, hitting the ball too long, hitting the ball too wide, but then understanding what I needed to do adapt, top spin, like flicking the ball. Like this is it, we call it loads of wild different things because it's easy for me to then to understand in order to understand how to get the ball in, in order to have like top spin and speed on the ball. I had to fail at those times. I was never going to go on the court and learn how to do that straight away. No, I had to do all of the rubbish in order to attain this now Serena Williams style of tennis. So yeah, we're talking about confidence there. So if you think you need, you haven't got enough confidence, then here's the thing. If you remain where you're at, cycling through the same thing, you will never have confidence. In order to build confidence, it's a learned skill. And it's the skill you learn from doing the things that you don't want to do that feel uncomfortable, but you know are in the positive direction for yourself. Things like meditation. God, I hated meditation. Hated, hated yoga. Christ, hated journaling. My therapist told me I was an avoidant for years. She was right. <laughs> but it isn't until you start doing the things that, that you then look at these other people and think, gosh, they're so confident. You don't see what they're doing behind closed doors. You don't see the meditation. You don't see the yoga. And you don't see the things like journaling. And when I had Ben on the podcast yesterday, like I felt so absolute. I've had the biggest imposter syndrome I've ever had in my life. I had anxiety sweats through the roof. But I knew that I wanted to do that. I knew that it was in line with personal growth. So whilst I didn't feel confident, I did it, right? And he was talking about exactly the same thing. Like he didn't feel confident meditating. He didn't feel confident doing his journaling. But then you remain very stagnant, right? You remain where you're at. And doing the things that feel uncomfortable, that's where you're going to build the confidence. And I don't mean uncomfortable like intermittent fucking fasting or like not eating carbs past 6 p.m. It's ludicrous. Or managing your blood glucose. Thank you very much, Zoe Diet. No, that's not building confidence. That's sending you into a frenzy of all or nothing. So it's having a real clear picture of what health wants to, like what you want to feel in terms of health and in your body and working on the connection back to your body and then working through behaviours that are going to support you with that. Honestly, it'll be the most transformative thing you do. And that's what we all do with coaching, right? That's what my coaching is based on. The premise of building confidence, self-awareness, emotional regulation, so that you can live in your body without being governed by numbers, governed by scale weight, governed by tracking calories. Like instead, you've got the awareness through a clear lens and you're able to understand when you come home why you want to go in the biscuits. You're able to label the emotion. And then you're able to take action when you really don't want to feel like it. I've had clients this week who said, gosh, I really didn't want to go for a walk tonight, but I did it and I feel better. And it's things like that. So now she's got more confidence in order to do that. I've had a client who was having really difficult conversations with those around her. She didn't want to do it, but she did it. This morning, she sent me a wonderful message saying thank you. I had a client last night who in a year has turned around to me and said, for the first time, I actually like my body. I can look at my body and I feel confident and comfortable in my body. Wild. It's wild. And it's amazing. Amazing. So that was me for 15 minutes. You're welcome. Um, and if you're listening to this this morning, 
I'm going live with Annie, who is one of my incredible coaching friends, probably one of my best friends. I love her to death at 12 noon. And we're going to be talking about why diets fail. So she is an online coach as well. And she's also incredible. Anyway, let's get started on the questions because we have a few to get through. Um, number one, is comfort eating okay? And I think this is a really important topic. I really do. Because, yeah, comfort eating is okay. It is. Because there will be times when, like, ultra-processed foods, like cakes, donuts, chocolate, do bring you an amount of comfort. They do soothe you. The issue is we don't want food to be our only coping mechanism. We don't want food to be the only source of comfort that we seek. We want to have many tools on our tool belt in order to help regulate us, to help bring us back down to our window of tolerance or up to our window of tolerance. So by that, what we mean is, Utilising things like breath work, utilising things like journaling, like creativity, like um, spirituality, like mind-body connection, yoga, like training. Like Ben said yesterday on the podcast, like some soothing mechanism for him is actually going and doing a gym session because it is mindful. And I've been working with another client this week on like mindfully incorporating breath work into her training. So that's rebuilding the mind-body connection to help her then sit in her body. Because what happens is when we're using food as a coping mechanism and it's then we're feeling guilt and we're feeling shame, that's because it's dysregulated. That's because it's not bringing you the complete comfort. Instead, it's more shadow comfort. So that's more like a reaction. So it's a reaction to a situation that could have been triggered maybe at work maybe your boss has sent you a really horrible email and you're really frustrated and you get home and you just and just need some chocolate I just want the chocolate now and then you find yourself in a share bar of galaxy trying to quote unquote comfort yourself but after the share bar of galaxy you feel guilt you feel shame you feel frustrated you haven't got the comfort that's been a reaction due to a lack of emotional awareness some emotional dysregulation which has then taken you to that it could well be habitual for you now however if we are working through emotional granularity which is why i say to everybody just simply being able to label how you're feeling is transformative in working through your food relationship because it helps curate this pause right a lot of the time people will go around saying i'm stressed i'm stressed i'm stressed i'm stressed well, realistically speaking, with stress, all the brain is saying is, I can't deal with this right now. But if you're feeling emotions, frustration, aggravation, envy, jealousy, there are physiological changes that happen within the body whereby clarity is low, decision making is impaired, and we're running on autopilot, which is why a lot of the time it becomes habitual. This autopilot, I'm going to comfort eat, and then I'm going to be left with shadow comfort, feeling the guilt. Because you're not being able, you've not got the capacity to curate the pause because you haven't got the awareness of how you're feeling. Instead, your umbrella nurse stress, which is why working through your emotional well-being and your emotional granularity is key. You can't do so without self-awareness. So we start to build self-awareness in situations. And when you've got the awareness, you work through the emotional granularity and then you start to understand what your body is needing in that moment. Because sometimes your body will need food. Like it might well be that you are 
um, dysregulated because you've skipped your lunch and you do actually need food. But there might be times where you're dysregulated because you're feeling a catalyst of emotions. And in that moment, it's likely that your body doesn't need food. It might well be that your body needs a, a, literally to catch her breath. Like it might be that you need breath work because your heart rate is up, your breathing is really fast paced. So then doing some like prolonged exhaling because you're in such an aroused state, that is going to bring you back down to your window of tolerance. It might be that you just need five minutes, you know, just need five minutes outside to gain clarity on your thoughts to understand how you're feeling. It might be that you need like a nice warm hug and it might well be that maybe you need, I don't know, some connection. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. There's a myriad of different things that your body may well need in that moment. It might not be food, but it might be food. But then there's times when, you know, it really does get very, very rocky, you know? And there are times when you maybe have tried your breath work, you've tried journaling, You've tried um, connecting to other people. You've tried getting outside in nature and nothing's bringing you back down. And you're like, do you know what? I've tried everything here. I'm going to have some food. And the difference is you're going with intent. And when you're going with intent, it's not quote unquote binge, but you might well eat past fullness. It might be overeating, but actually the feeling that you have afterwards is completely different to that of this instant reaction. Instead, you do feel comforted you do feel nourished, you do feel wholesome, you feel better to an extent. So it's whether or not that comfort eating is A, your only source of comfort, but it shouldn't be, and B, how it leaves you feeling afterwards, which is why we say food is rarely if ever the problem, because on the surface, it could just look like eating donuts, but actually, how do you feel with it? If you're left feeling guilt, shame, frustration, aggravation, resentment, wanting to quote unquote, quote unquote, get back on track or undo it tomorrow, that's shadow comfort. That comes from a lack of emotional regulation, a lack of emotional granularity and an instant reaction in that moment. If that's the case, you build on self-awareness, you build on emotional granularity, you build on understanding of certain triggers and then you work through soothing mechanisms that are going to support you and load up your tool belt with tools that are supportive for you but if it leaves you feeling wholesome if it leaves you feeling nourished and you're not looking for more food then that's okay providing that you've done other things as well around that like comfort eating is one of my coping mechanisms and I will use it in times of like sheer distress when I've tried everything else and those of you who will know things like I lost Edith early in the year and I tried breath work I tried journaling I tried everything and literally it was just arousing me even more so I did use food and that was okay and I felt fine using that because I'd given myself permission to do so unconditionally knowing that that was the right choice for me in that moment and I didn't then continue to eat more I moved on with my day understanding why I chose that um, number two, is there any harm in not having protein and vegetables with each meal? Say my children want pancakes. Do I need, do I then need to get protein in a vegetable? I sort of formed this question based on something that I was having, based on a conversation I was having with a client this week, actually. And I think, you know, I don't know. The fitness industry swing, swings the pendulum just to extremes I don't know why but at the minute we seem to have protein on this pedestal like that we need to eat protein at every single meal timing 
that we need to have protein within 30 minutes of training because of our anabolic window. That we can't eat a meal that hasn't got protein in it because muscle protein synthesis. You know, it's so consuming for so many people, like being governed by rules, being governed by these sort of narratives that literally do send us into a spiral of dichotomous thinking. Is it okay to have a meal that hasn't got protein and vegetables in? Yes. Because here's the reality of it. It's what you do for the majority of the time that's going to get you your results. If you're having one, two meals a week that hasn't got protein and vegetables in, that's going to be 10% of your week. Do you think that's going to have significant impacts on muscle protein synthesis on your anabolic window? No, it's not. But instead, the benefits might be absolutely incredible because you're connecting with your children. You're going out for food. You're enjoying something that you don't regularly eat. You're nourishing an experience. You're connecting with other people around you. You're leaning into some discomfort of being able to go out and not have protein and vegetables and know that that's okay which is going to feed into personal growth. And it's a long-term strategy, isn't it? And whilst protein seems to be on a pedestal, I mean, you get protein popcorn, protein crisps, protein, you can even get protein fiber one. It's ludicrous. And let me tell you, if it's got the word protein in it, it's going to be double the amount of money that the non-protein is going to be. It's like a protein thin or protein bagel it's like protein bagel, £3.70, or a normal bagel, a pound. <laughs> and it's and the protein difference is like two grams. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And realistically speaking, protein is important, right? Protein is like the building blocks of the body. So with inside our body, we've got cells, millions and millions and millions of cells. And these cells form our body basically and inside each cell is what's known as an amino acid amino acid is a form of protein now these form into what what looks like double helix bonds and those cells need 20 amino acids to function optimally and this plays into protein synthesis muscle protein synthesis metabolic health anabolic resistance <laughs> but the body only produces 11 of these naturally the other nine are what are known as essential amino acids and come from whole animal protein sources so we need to be getting enough protein in to make sure that we are forming these double helix bonds within each of our cells to make sure that these cells are functioning optimally, right? So when you cut yourself, you heal, that's because you've got protein in your body and your body's going through the process of repairing. In order to grow muscle mass, you don't create muscle mass in the gym. You create the stimuli by creating small little micro tears through progressively overloading. And what you do outside of that is indicative of the growth, repair, and recovery, namely getting enough rest, getting enough protein, and eating enough calories, right? So protein is important. But thinking about it, like a baseline about 100 grams for females, about 200 grams for men. But using a buffer, like realistically speaking, if you got like 75 grams of protein in one day, but then you use the rest of your caloric intake to enjoy a meal with your children or go out for a burger with your family, what's going to be of more benefit to you? Absolutely kicking your pants because you haven't got enough protein in that meal or allowing yourself some imperfection for that one meal, knowing that that's absolutely okay. And if you're saying to yourself, no, like every day I don't get enough protein, then, then yeah, 
we need to be getting more protein in. But if your majority of the time, and I know this hero does, gets protein in with her first meal of the day, which is when we trigger what's known as muscle protein synthesis, because we've got the nine essential amino acids, namely leucine, which then turns on muscle protein synthesis. So that is pretty important, especially if you're like perimenopause, menopause, that's quite essential. But then over the course of the day, if you don't get it in your first meal, because maybe you're going for an almond croissant and a coffee with your best friend, then getting it in the rest of the day, it's coming away from that all or nothing, isn't it? Well, if I haven't got all my protein in, then I can't get nothing in. Actually, no, it's imperfection. What else can you do? And in terms of vegetables, again, it's the same. Yeah, we know 30 grams of fiber is optimal for gut health. But if you have one day of 25 grams, because maybe you've had a nice big bowl of yogurt for breakfast with chai seeds, flax seeds, berries, and all of this on the top, and then you've had, I don't know, a veggie omelet for lunch with some baked beans because they're the most comforting food. And then in the evening, you're wanting to go out for a pizza and maybe you didn't get all your, all your fiber in. Instead of worrying and unnecessarily adding calories to your day by saying, I need to eat some vegetables. No, just sitting with that and knowing that it's what you do for the majority of the time. But if you're listening to this now and going, well, for the majority of the time, I just eat carbohydrates and not enough vegetables and not enough protein, then yeah. But if for the majority of the time you tick those non-negotiables and those basics for you, then leaning into the imperfection. And this client in particular had pancakes with her daughter early evening and then should I be getting a protein meal in tonight but actually all that would have done would sent her above her caloric intake for the day and actually leaning into the imperfection and saying no do you know what this is okay for me right now that's phenomenal you know um oh gosh number three how to limit the noise hearing all the diets into Christmas it makes me think I should diet but then I don't think that's right it's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. It seems to be rife this year. And it seems to be that coaches are now selling their body as a way of getting people on board, which let me tell you is probably one of my biggest bugbears in the fitness industry. Like I'm going to diet into Christmas, like diet to feel your best in your little black dress, or this is what I achieved in a 12 week diet. This is what you can achieve. It's, it's marketing and it sells. Shockingly, it does sell. And I mean, there's a few things you could do. You can mute the accounts. Like I mute quite a few fitness industry. Like there's people I really used to look up to in the industry, but now I just have them on mute because it can be triggering for people. And I know for myself in particular, I'm going away at the end of the year. We're to a hot country and society, like social media will tell me to die into that holiday. I'm not going to die into that holiday because that would not be value aligned for me. And it comes with this sort of narrative around Christmas, doesn't it? Well, if you diet into Christmas, then you you basically glorify a binge. So it's like, well, like if I diet into Christmas, if I lose weight now, then I can just regain all the weight over Christmas and then start again in January. And this comes back to that, what I mentioned at the start, right? How much of that is going to eat away your confidence? Do you think on the 1st of January, you'll feel confident? No. Do you think sat on Christmas Day when you feel uncomfortable because you've nailed the celebrations and now you're ready to sink 40 pigs in blankets that you're going to feel confident? No. And I think it's a far better goal to say to myself or say to yourself, apologies. At Christmas, I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel confident. 
and that might look like a bit of a fat loss phase but it also might look like working through food guilt it might look like working through food inclusion it might look like incorporating more social events so that when december comes you're able to spontaneously go to a christmas market spontaneously have a mulled wine spontaneously a mince pie on a tuesday not feel like you need to eat all the mince pies or that you've gone off track it might look like for you incorporating more movement it might look like for you coming away from rigidity of like diet beliefs like only eating certain food on certain days like having weekend food and weekday food instead leaning into the messiness of your food relationship alongside your commitments of your life so that when Christmas does come you're able to navigate better it might come from building on emotional granularity so that when Christmas comes and I know for myself like Christmas is a big trigger time for me it does bring up a lot so if I didn't have the emotional granularity and the self-awareness I could have found myself sinking through boxes of miniature heroes which I used to do FYI and then replenish them some years ago without anybody knowing <laughs> like if you want to work through like because family dynamics are difficult at Christmas right and if that sends you into a frenzy of dichotomous thinking maybe working through your emotional awareness now is going to support you so that when your children are opening their Christmas presents on Christmas day you're fully there you're fully present you're fully connected instead of worrying about the grandparents coming over because they might bring the chocolate and then you might overeat the chocolate and then you've got Christmas to contend with. And here's the challenge again, none of this is seen. It's all how you feel. So when you're seeing these people on social media selling their bodies as a diet plan for you to go into Christmas and then have to eat all the food between Christmas and New Year because you're ready to get back on it on the 1st of January. How is that going to leave you feeling? Is that going to leave you feeling balanced, regulated, calm, collected? Or is that going to leave you feeling guilty, feeling shame, with malice comments towards your body, with then extremes coming in in January that you give up by in February because it was that hard? And I say to everybody, be the tortoise in the race, always, you know? The tortoise always wins the race. And I think one other thing to consider is that this is a lifelong process. How many times do you want to spend like going into different diets? Imagine on your gravestone, um, loved for spending 60 years dieting. No, it's not something we're attaining, is it? Instead, you can attain a life of freedom away from food in your body. And that might look like fat loss into Christmas, but not over Christmas. But when you're doing that fat loss, making sure that you've got the method that supports emotional granularity, emotional awareness, self-awareness, inclusivity, not just grind harder, bro, get more motivation, track calories, hit your steps, because that, that becomes a dichotomy. Because then you instill this perfection mindset, come Christmas, why do you think you're overeating? Because you can't get 10,000 steps in, because you can't track your calories. So then what do you do? Nothing, all or nothing, you know? Um, next one. I've noticed if I have a meal I don't fully enjoy, then I'm snacking my way around the kitchen. Any advice for in the moment? Of course, I know enjoying meals, but how to not snack right then? Of course, I know enjoying. Okay, so of course, I know maybe enjoying meals is important, but then how not to snack right away? <laughs> yeah. Meal satisfaction is a big thing here. 
as you mentioned, you know that enjoying meals is important. And I had a conversation very similar to this with another client this week, whereby we were talking about a lack of satisfaction in meals that was then leading to an increase in snacking. And actually, when this client in particular went out, she was noticing an increase in satisfaction, but because it was like a, should I be satisfied with my meals? Should I be enjoying my meals? That comes from, again, low self-worth from poor dieting history can then lead to some dichotomous thinking like, well, this, if I'm enjoying my meals, then that's bad because this meal is a little bit more energy dense and then because I feel that this food is bad that sends me into snacking so that's a bit of a tangent but meal satisfaction is very very important and you're far better off looking at a meal that you're going to be satisfied with and satiated as opposed to a meal you will just be satiated with and what I mean by that is if you're just eating lettuce leaves salad cream and wafer thin ham because it's got zero sins in it whilst you may be full of food you won't be satisfied when you're not satisfied like you've mentioned here you can then increase your cravings because cravings come psychologically we're not inherently driven to crave sugar, but a lack of satisfaction can really impact our cravings. And there's some amount of research around leptin resistance if you've carried elevated body fat levels, whereby you can become resistant to the recognition of complete fullness psychologically, which can then exacerbate any cravings. So meal satisfaction is very important. And I put a post on yesterday on my stories about I wanted something comforting and I had some baked beans because, again, they're ultimate comfort food. And I was so satisfied after that meal. But a lot of people could look at it and be like, well, baked beans aren't the pinnacle of health. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't matter. But it's an inclusive diet, right? And that would have stopped me then snacking afterwards because I was seeking some comfort from food to bring me back down to a place of equilibrium after a really stressful day. But if you find yourself, there will be times when you do have to eat a mediocre meal, like there will, realistically speaking. So if you're in a fat loss phase, um, you haven't, of course, got the amount of energy availability in terms of your intake. So there will be times when you have to sit with a little bit of dissatisfaction or maybe, you know, you've got like a really heavy social week. So it's looking at (laughs) rationalizing and being really quite what's the word I'm looking for right we're seeing the calories over the course of the week as opposed to day to day because we don't see them day to day anyway because shocking the energy balance isn't static but we're being more open-minded with our caloric intake over the course of the week to factor in social events so there will be times where you do have to eat a bit of a mediocre meal maybe like your yogurt bowl goes from being yogurt bowl with granola and fruit to a yogurt bowl with fruit you know and it's not quite as satisfying but you're satiated One of the things that you can get on board with here is surfing the urge. And surfing the urge is recognizing that cravings only last about 30 minutes. And this is making sure that you have physically eaten as well. Like you can't surf the urge if you've not eaten for eight hours because it's not going to work. You actually do need some food. But surfing the urge allows you to, it's like a wave. So cravings increase like a wave and then they drop off after 30 minutes. So learning to surf the urge and that's things like acknowledging whereabouts you can feel this within your body. Um, Like where is the impulsivity coming from? What is it that's going to support you in that moment? What will your future self thank you for? And then radical acceptance, like accepting and building on resilience, knowing that this is just temporary and that you won't have this craving forever and sitting with this thinking right okay yeah I understand now and I have the awareness that that meal wasn't satisfying for me I can now build on that I can learn from that and I can adapt going forward maybe it's like I had an omelet and I need to put baked beans with it (laughs) just saying um I really have this on my mind can you tell 
I probably will have it for lunch today. Mm-hmm, who knows? Um, but that like resilience as well is knowing that this doesn't need to feed into all areas of your life. And you recognize that that situation is temporary. And then the radical acceptance in that moment, knowing that like that's not going to be forever, you know? Um, and then as well, like if you are snacking, and I say this to so many people, like if you've got, if you want a snack and you're not hungry, go for an apple. You won't snack then. Because what you want to do is snack on chocolate. Um, and finally, last question. Any podcasts I recommend? Yes. Um, there's a really amazing podcast, Nutrition with Rebecca. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> um, so I guess it depends on what it is that you're wanting to listen to. So I would recommend my podcast. Of course I would. Um, I love, so I like to listen to nutrition and science style podcasts, but I also like to listen to business style podcasts. So I guess it depends on the genre that you're thinking. Like Adam Grant's got an amazing podcast. Um, Andrew Huberman's got a good podcast. Um, I listen to the mentoring. Like I, as you know, I have a business mentor, so I listen to that podcast. But then I also love, oh my God, my favorite podcast in the whole entire world. and literally it lights up so much of my life is my therapist ghosted me with Vogue Williams and Joe Longley is it oh my god it's the most funniest podcast in the world but then I also like um Elizabeth Day how to fail I love that podcast um don't think and then I'm part of EIQ so they do a podcast so I'll listen to that um let me see let me just have a look because I do follow quite a few podcast accounts so let me just tell you um my therapist goes to me shockingly um I don't like the diary of a CEO anymore if you know you know oh I really like sex with Emily that's a very good one talks all about sex and um like how to Bring about more connection. It's, it's quite wild, to be fair. Um, oh, that one's a good good podcast. The Game with Alex Hormonesy. If you've heard of Alex Hormonesy, he is incredible. I also like The Food Medic, Dr. Hazel Wallace. Um, oh, Grace Beverly, incredible. Working Hard, Hardly Working. Oh, Nudge by Philip, um, well, Phil Agnew. Very good podcast. Um. Yeah, rethinking the podcast. Happy Place, Fern Cotton. She's on there as well. Haven't listened to that one for some time, actually. But I did see that she'd recently done a an episode with, is it Vicky Pattinson? So I thought, oh, that'd be good. Um, I'm just not like, all of these are a bit old now. Mm, yeah. 3D Muscle Journey, that's quite good. <laughs> um, but yeah. So there's a few there for you to choose from. I've also heard people say that that Snog Married Annoyed is a good podcast as well. Um, a couple of clients like that. So yeah, there's a few. But I think understanding like the genre and always listening to mine, because of course mine's the best podcast in the world. And the more in which we can share my podcast, the better. <laughs> anyway, that's all the questions this week. Thank you so much, everyone. And keep them coming.